Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, December 7th. Tis the season for giving to those in need. We take a look at just how charitable Canadians are and if the amount we give annually has changed over the last decade. We get the latest findings on the Generosity Index compiled by the Fraser Institute. Then we continue our conversation surrounding giving. We speak with Corey Ibergen, Senior Impact Analyst with Charity Intelligence. It's an organization that measures the impact an individual charity makes in a community. We focus on those charities that make the most of your money right here in Alberta. Next, travel is back, but there's a lot you need to know before you pack your bags for your next trip. We catch up with the travel lady, Leslie Cater, for the latest details on travel restrictions, including the newest testing protocols in place for those leaving and arriving in Canada. And finally, how much do you know about computer coding? It can seem like a foreign language, but help is on the way. This is Canada Learning Code Week, a chance for kids and adults alike to learn more about this important digital science. Are you planning on giving to charity this holiday season? Well, there's a new study from the Fraser Institute just released into how generous Canadians actually are. Joining us with all the details on the study is Jake Fuss, Senior Economist with the Fraser Institute. Hi, Jake. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us. Okay, let's talk about it. You call it the Generosity Index. So tell us a little bit about how it breaks down and how you calculated things. Yeah, so every holiday season, we track the generosity of Canadians. Um, And in this year's study, we found that the percentage of Canadian tax filers donating to charities has reached the lowest point since the year 2000. Um, And we also noticed a continuing trend that the share of income donated by Canadians on their tax forms is declining as well. Um, So this is obviously bad news for the most vulnerable in our society who rely on charitable donations for essential things like food and shelter in particular. Let's break this down because I would think, I guess it's maybe... It may be counterintuitive. You, you, you feel like, okay, we're further from the beginning of the pandemic. People might be seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, but uh, that, that's what my senses would tell me. But is this a case that people are more cautious as we're still not out of this yet, Jake? How, how, how do we explain this? Yeah, well, I mean, this is a trend that we've seen for, for quite some time now. Um, you know, we have seen that share of income donated by Canadians declining for some time. We've seen that generosity declining really in all jurisdictions across Canada. So this isn't a problem that's unique to one specific province. Um, this is really something that's happening everywhere. Um, so it's certainly concerning in that respect. But, you know, this is kind of a continuing trend. We've seen this really year after year. Um, you know, we've seen charities, you know, struggle for those resources, um, delivering services to the most vulnerable in our society. Um, so it's certainly concerning in that respect. Jake, I believe you broke it down province by province. Can you tell us a little bit about where Alberta fits into the list of, of generosity in terms of giving to charity? Yeah, so when we look at Alberta, they're really kind of in the middle of the pack among uh, Canadian provinces. Um, so we have them uh, at uh, spot in the rankings in terms of uh, Canadian jurisdictions, um, in terms of the percentage of tax filers who are claiming charitable donations. Um, so they're right below the national average at about 18.5% um, in terms of the percentage of tax filers donating to charity. And on average, um, Albertans are donating about 0.6% of their income um, to charities, uh, which is again right among the middle of the pack as well among Canadian jurisdictions. Um, but, you know, we do have other provinces that fare quite well. You know, Manitoba, for instance, um, year after year is, is quite high in our rankings at number one um, um, among all these different um, aspects that we look at in our generosity index. Guys, we've been looking within our borders, looking within. 
How do we compare, for example, our overall generosity as Canadians to our neighbors uh, down south in the U.S.? Yeah, well, the difference between Canadian and American jurisdictions is typically quite stark um, in our index of charitable giving. Um, you know, typically uh, Canadians give a lower percentage of their income to charity than uh, Americans do. So, you know, last year, for instance, Americans gave about 2% of their income, um, whereas Canadians gave about 0.5% of their income to uh, charitable donations. Um, so there's usually a, a quite a stark difference between the two countries. Um, you know, generally, um, Canadian jurisdictions rank much lower in our index compared to American jurisdictions. Um, and, you know, places like Utah and Georgia and Maryland usually rank um, quite high among all the uh, North American jurisdictions examined in our studies. So would overall, Jake, would you say inflation, cost of living, and just maybe even COVID right now, too, impacting people's generosity? Yeah, I think there's a, you know, a whole host of factors. Um, you know, we don't know exactly why um, there has been this decline in generosity really over the last 20 years. Um, but what we do know is, you know, things like the amount of after-tax income that people have um, really affects the amount of donations that they give. Um, so that could certainly be a factor at play here. Um, and, you know, we, we expect to see this, you know, continue during the pandemic as well, um, as people have a lot of uncertainty with, with finances um, and not sure what to do um, in terms of, you know, how much should I give or do I even have money to give um, to charitable uh, giving in, in general. So, you know, there's really concerns, I think, across the board um, with Canadians right now with things like affordability um, and paying for a whole host of budget items. All right, thank you so much for your info this morning, Jake. We appreciate it. Thanks very much for having me on. Tis the season of giving, and if you're looking to find the charity with the biggest impact, our next guest has the information you need. Charity Intelligence has released its list of top impact charities of 2021, and this morning we're joined by Corey Ibergen, Senior Impact Analyst with Charity Intelligence. Good morning to you, Corey. Hi, thanks for having me on. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, let's get things started with, with kind of a definition. How, how do we define a, a high-impact charity, for example? Sure. So when we're talking about demonstrated impact, essentially what we're looking at is for every dollar that is donated to a charity, how much value is that charity creating through its programs? Uh, essentially, how much good is it doing? Um, so we're, we want to see how the charity is changing the lives of the clients, the people who it's working with and for, and what is this worth in terms of a dollar value uh, to those clients and to society. Okay, so important to know sort of, you know, where our dollars are going when we want to donate then. So, you know, as you, as you create this list and you decide or by looking at, you know, all that background information, which are the best, how do we know? How can we figure this out? Is it just by going to your website then? Or do you have everything sort of listed in order there for us? Uh, I think we lot like for people to check out the website. Um, and, and kind of see what, how we, which ones we've identified as, as having high impact. For, for a person themselves viewing a charity, it might be difficult to find this kind of thing out because it does require uh, lots of research and calculations and things like that. But sometimes you can get an idea, um, almost like a proxy of, of a charity's impact by looking at what kind of data they have available on their website, how well they're reporting there are different activities, so while you might not be able to calculate impact the way we do, you might get kind of a, an, a hint of um, does it seem like they, they are 
achieving their, their program goals. I'm wondering, Corey, is it, is it a direct correlation to the amount of, you know, each dollar that goes to, to make a difference to that charity that brings them to the top of the list? Or could it be a case that some of these charities are, are just more well-run, more efficient, and whereas they might not, you know, give you that full impact when it comes to the uh, pennies of the dollar, they can do more with it. So do some charities, you know, might not have that highest, you know, percentage of the dollar, but do have a more effective way of doing things? That's that's absolutely correct. So we there there's there's different ways you can look at how effective a charity is, and and, and people like to look at um, the share of the dollar that goes towards programs versus how much is spent on overhead, fundraising, all that kind of thing. With demonstrated impact, we're almost looking at somewhere a different direction than those typical metrics, and. Um, we're just we're looking at the value that's created for uh, the cost of the charity's programs. So even if you spend maybe a lot of money on um, overhead or fundraising, but you're still creating a lot of value with your programs, uh, then that's what we would focus on. So it doesn't always, we don't think the, um, the sense to the cause, as it were, is always the most important thing. We, we actually think the demonstrated impact is uh, what we want to be going toward. Mm-hmm. So is that is that what your list is about then? And, and I see you've got 20 new charities making the Charity Intelligence Top 100 list for the first time. So that's great news. But is that what you're looking at? And is that what we're going to see then when we roll out this list? We'll see the people who've, uh, the organizations, I should say, that that are using our dollars to the best of their ability. And I see, by the way, there are a couple of local ones on it for us speaking here in Alberta. Yeah, so based on our our research and the communications we've had with charities that we've analyzed, those charities on the, the top list are the ones that we've found. Uh, for every dollar that's donated, they create the most value. So okay. um, in Canada, the average charity creates maybe $1 to $2 of value per dollar donated, where the ones on the top impact list sometimes generate seven dollars of value for every dollar donated so that that's what we think is the most important piece of information when you're trying to figure out how effective is a charity essentially how much value are they creating uh with the resources available to them let's talk about this in in the sense that you know we can uh, break down some of these uh, by name perhaps in alberta that give the best bang for the buck that will make the biggest difference can you can you give us a couple of examples yeah, so on the on the I think for the last couple of years we've done a top five Calgary charities list. Um, and there's been some charities that have made the list both years. This year, um, Fresh Start Recovery Center, Simon House Recovery Center, Calgary Food Bank, Children's Cottage Society, and Elizabeth Fry Society of Calgary were our top five. Mm-hmm. So there's actually quite a diverse range of services they offer, which is kind of cool to see. So um, it it goes to show that there's not just one area of programming that will give you the highest impact. Uh, I think going back to your point, sometimes um, the most efficient management of a charity, that sometimes could correlate with uh, high impact. So we have a, a food bank here. We have addiction treatment programs. We have 
uh, charity that works with families and young kids to prepare young kids for for life. Um, so yeah, there's there's a there's a great range of services. Uh, here. There sure are, and uh, you know, give honorable mention because I also see a couple more Alberta Animal Rescue Crew Society, which we call ARCS, and Big Brothers Big Sisters of Calgary and area. So we have some wonderful charities doing great work right here in our area, and uh, thank you for providing, you know, this list because it helps us decide where we're going to put our dollars and how impactful they'll be. So thanks so much for joining us, Corey. Appreciate your time. No problem. Thanks again for having me. Corey Ibergen is Senior Impact Analyst with Charity Intelligence, and that website is simply charityintelligence.ca. And hearing what he had to say, how individual your choices are when it comes to the charities you want to give sure. to. It's, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Our dollars don't go as far as they used to, so we're super purposeful. And that's why, and this, this sounds like a plug, and it is a bit of a plug, at calgarychildrensfoundation.com. Our pledge day uh, was on Friday, and we did some great work, mm-hmm. partnered with everybody in Calgary who uh, took some time to give a buck or two, whatever they could, because it's an umbrella, and there's so many. And also our partners at Global TV, which we'll be chronicling, which is the month of giving, and they're lasering in on all four weeks in December, a different cause. Exactly. And one of them is the Calgary Food Bank, yes. which is also on that list that Corey just mentioned. So great news. Uh, wonderful organizations here in the city of Calgary and in this province. Great opportunities. Find one that works for you and yeah. your family. We are entering one of the busiest travel times of the year. And with new travel restrictions now in place, many people have questions. Joining us now is the travel lady, Leslie Cater, <laughs> to give us some answers. Good morning to you, Leslie. Hi, good morning, Andrew. Well, yes, what a time it's been. <laughs> and hopefully, And if people are traveling, hope they have the whiteboard out and uh, the pen handy because there's a lot we need to know. So what do people know planning this trip when they're coming or going? And, and these things have changed as recently as yesterday, haven't they? That's right, yes. You know, when they first announced that there was going to be an arrival test in the coming days, and there were no more details than that, I must admit I was quite anxious because it wasn't clear what was going to happen when passengers landed at Vancouver or Toronto and then had an onward flight to Calgary. So I was really thankful when the update came out And uh, it really is pretty simple. Just the main spots. This is how it's going to run. So you're fully vaxxed. You arrive into a Canadian airport from a non-U.S. destination. You'll be swabbed by a public health nurse or get a take-home test. The traveler must then isolate at home or at the designated quarantine destination, like a hotel, like if they were on vacation here, Mm -hmm. while they await the results of the test. If they're negative, they can resume a normal life. If positive, they have to stay in quarantine for 14 days. But the most important thing is if the traveler has a connecting flight, they get swabbed or collect a take-home test at the point of first entry into Canada and then continue to their final destination. And the home test, they have to self-administer while on a video link with a nurse. And they do it through private companies such as DynaLife, Life Labs, or Switch Health. I've used DynaLife myself for all of my tests, and my tests generally come back within 10 to 12 hours. And all costs are covered by the federal government. So, you know, I think this is prudent, what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think it seems quick and easy. A little bit of inconvenience while you wait for the test. 
But the ultimate inconvenience could be far worse, right? So a minor inconvenience isn't such a big deal. Leslie, I just wanted to touch on something you said. So if if somebody's, if we as a Canadian or somebody's coming into the country uh, and this is not their final destination, so they've got to just say a stopover in Calgary and then they go from there, they would do the test, they would do the swab here in Calgary before getting on their connecting flight? Yes, that's right. And And then then they would... And then is there communication at the the final stop then? Say they do test negative? Like, is the left hand going to talk to the right hand is what I'm wondering. Uh, Well, I do believe that what they're going to do is they're going to make those tests available to your email address. Okay. So you have a, a digital copy of that. So it's early days yet. Now, I have a couple of colleagues who've just returned to Canada from Cancun or somewhere in Mexico, and they di- they said it was very quick. They disembarked passengers, 75 people at a time from the plane. They went through, they were still doing the random testing at this stage. She got called aside for the random test. She said it took about uh, half an hour to get that, and then they were on their way, and they said, yeah, we'll let you know how the test goes. Hmm. Still, 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 you know, you've, you've given us some great clarity. People still may have questions, so we'll direct them to the travelady.ca. Uh, talk to a travel agent mm-hmm. because there's so many questions during this tumultuous time. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Leslie. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Have a great day. She is the travel lady, Leslie Cater. Technology has become a huge part of our lives, but understanding the language used to create the technology we depend on isn't widely understood. Canada Learning to Code is an organization helping to teach coding to kids and teens. This morning, we're joined by co-founder and CEO of Canada Learning to Code, Melissa Serafodine. Good morning to you, Melissa. Good morning. Well, let's talk about this because I think we've all heard of code, but but exactly what is it? It sounds like a different language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it can definitely be different languages, but really, like, simply, it's it's instructions that we give to a computer to tell it what to do. So it's very similar to creating a recipe. And um, there's lots of different languages, lots of different ways to communicate with computers. But really, fundamentally, it's a, a set of instructions um, that you're, you're telling a computer to, to do what you want it to do. Okay, so tell us what you're up to then. We, we want to make sure that we get enough people, young people, girls, boys, everybody into this coding. It really is important for us as we move forward in this world. So, uh, you know, tell us about the program and, and who can get involved. Yeah, well, this week is Canada Learning Code Week, so it's our fifth annual. We've partnered with Shaw, with TikTok, and Amazon Future Engineer to run a Power On Challenge. So this week, we're inspiring creativity and imagination in youth by equipping teachers with resources and lesson plans to teach coding. And that's really important because, you know, technology is everywhere. And if the pandemic has highlighted anything, it's definitely that, you know, technology, you know, impacts pretty much everything that we do. And so for us, it's really important that, you know, youth especially understand how this technology works. Um, and then they're not just passive, um, you know, or even active consumers of technology, but they can go one step further and understand how it's built. So this week is centered around that. We've got tons of resources completely free to inspire uh, kids' imagination with technology. I'm going to send people to CanadaLearningToCode.ca for Canada Learning to Code Week. And which ages are we talking about here, Melissa? Oh, as young as kindergarten um, and even, you know, even younger than that, really. Wow. We have a lot of lessons that are unplugged. So we call them unplugged because you don't need a computer, but you're really focused on teaching those foundational skills like pattern recognition um, that, you know, you can start at a really young age. So there's definitely something for, for everybody. Brilliant. Love it. Thanks so much for joining us, Melissa. Appreciate it. 
Thanks for having me. Melissa Serafodine is co-founder, chief executive officer, Canada Learning Code, and again, online, canadalearningcode.ca. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.